and welcome to Court Games, a podcast for the Legend of the Five Rings community, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the RPG, stories, and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Gova. And I'm Kikita Kaori. First of all, we want to start off with a thank you to our Discord patrons and to Sebastian or Seabass on Discord. Um, we have a new chat channel on the Discord for everybody to come and talk to us about uh, this podcast and our brother podcast for the LCG. And there is materials that Seabass has made that will be in our show notes. And they're working on a website. Yep. Uh, it's uh, all looking really fun and interesting. Lots of interesting things coming in the uh, court games arena, which we're looking forward to. Speaking of upcoming things, of course, um, although it's no mm-hmm. longer upcoming, it's kind of arrived, is the Across the Burning Hands Unicorn Clan novella. That came out on April 11th and came along with the Warriors of the Wind Unicorn Clan pack. And it is a 110-page story, a 16-page color insert on the history of the Unicorn Clan, and two alternate art cards. That sounds really, really cool. And it's written by Daniel Lovett Clark. It's out now, and we have not got our hot little hands on it yet, so I haven't read it, um, but I'm very much looking forward to it. It's about the adventures of Shinjo Shono, son of the Unicorn Clan champion, who is Shinjo Alton Sanai, as he goes to negotiate with the Caliph of Al-Zawira to ensure peace between the Neheri and the Unicorn. If the Unicorn are doing full-out war with the Lion Clan, as they are planning to do, they don't need the Neheri coming at them from behind. The picture on the back is uh, Moto Chagatai. He is currently the son of the Motio Daimyo, and um, interestingly, in the original AEG Legend of the Five Rings timeline. He is a dominant Unicorn Clan champion, but way off in the future. And I think he's about a generation ahead of where he would normally appear in the AEG timeline. Right. He would be a little baby if he was born at all in uh, AEG timeline. But he conquered half of Rokugan. So. Uh, he did. He did He did do quite a lot of stuff. There was quite a bit of speculation when the novel was first announced because people looking at the, the card art or the, the art on the back and going, mm, that looks like Mokuto Chakotai. But isn't that a bit early? And uh, some people saying, yes, it's him. And some people saying, it can't be. must be his dad. But it does look an awful lot like all the renditions we've seen of him before. Hmm. And so now we know it's Mokuto Chakotai. If you are interested, but you are not willing to immediately spend money on the book right away, or if it's not yet available where you are, then the first chapter is available online. I think it's the first chapter. It's either the first chapter or it's like the zeroth chapter. It comes right before it. Right. But it's <laughs> Rule from Horseback, also by Daniel Lovett Clark. And basically, we have a dissatisfied magistrate in charge of the unicorn outpost city, Kanbaluk. She is an, uh, intercepting a Gaijin spy, that is one Moto uh, Rudame. That's the magistrate, not spy. I, don't, I can't remember if I forgot the spy's name. She is worried that the Gaijin are attempting to intercept and assassinate Shinjo Shono, who is in the area. And so she gets Moto Chagatai to go after him and maybe save him? There, <laughs> there is a certain amount of go and do what is right. Yes going on there. She's a very unhappy magistrate. She 
thinks she should be going, running around the plains, taking heads uh, with her scimitar and yep. not babysitting a city. However, there was a ton of lore oh, yes. in Rule from Horseback, and we expect more in the novel. First of all, we're not going to go into all lore from Rule from Horseback because we have a special guest coming uh, on our next podcast, uh, hopefully, uh, who is Melissa Marsh, and she is very fond of all things Moto, all things Unicorn, and has done a bunch of reading about Moto. So we hope to discuss all things of the Ujik culture uh, with her when she comes on our podcast next. However, we do have some things that are more base Rokugan. In particular, we have this city called the City of Kanbulak. Uh, we found information on this city in the Emerald Empire RPG supplement for fifth edition and this is where trading and so on occurs between the unicorn and the gaijin it lies right on the border between unicorn lands and out there uh, it is a walled city and it's run as you said by moto rurame and her unit which is the scarlet banners any gaijin found in the city at night is put to death thus keeping the unicorn's word to keep all the gaijin out of the empire maybe on a technicality yeah yeah, it's, it's it's one of those technically <laughs> <laughs> there's just no gaijin in the empire at night yeah. it's built by moto koro khan on the order of shinjo long ago mm-hmm. uh after the unicorn returned to the empire and and we also know that this, the streets must be pretty wide because this magistrate never at any point gets off her horse and she's chasing right. this guy through the markets and through stalls and just about everywhere. So, yeah, she's she's clearly nailed to her horse. And the city is clearly built exactly around this, which I suppose makes sense. But it is kind mm-hmm. of an interesting image. Uh, we also found another few things, like we get the unit of measurements, which I may have been mentioned before, I'm not sure. But uh, Lee is about half a kilometer, about a third of a mile. Uh, seems to be based off a, a Chinese measurement. And also they talk about the shaku, which is a real-life Chinese and Japanese me- measurement. It's about a foot. Generally, I think the official standard is 30.3 centimeters. So when you see something 20 shaku tall, you can say it's 20 feet tall. And we know that there is the Nehiri. They are the biggest enemy west of the empire down the sand road ruled by the Caliph of Al-Zawira. Yes. And associated with the unicorn pack that came out, we got some wonderful history uh, and lore from the unicorn pack itself. It doesn't talk much about the Nahiri, but it does have a good uh, description of the sand road. So what is the sand road? Basically, when the unicorn arrived in the empire and they were settled down they were trying to make a name for themselves prove themselves and they had a rather disastrous mission to the uh shadowlands where they were going to go take care of fulang and the pit and it did not work out well however that decimated their armies and the lord of the unicorn clan at the time the champion uh, needed to do something to save them. He sent out all of his scouts to find a path to the wealthy lands from which the unicorn had came. And eventually they found this path through the desert called the Sand Road that they then in turn conquered. 
and they hold the whole length of the sand road to the gates of Al-Zawari or the lands of the Nahiri. So this is all held by them, and they were pushed back, and they reconquered it. And right now, at the time of the timeline, the Unicorn Clan holds it. So that was some lore we got from the Unicorn Pack recently. Mm. There's lots of really, really lovely stuff. I think I think what's what's very interesting is that I get the impression I wasn't around at the very beginning of like the card game and all that kind of stuff, but. I get the feeling that the Unicorn didn't really have a huge amount of detail and lore at the beginning of the game. But towards the end, that's where you started getting Moto Chagatai. You started getting more of the Moto and the more Mongol aspects coming through. And it looks like FFG are kind of taking all of that resource and they're moving it right back here to the beginning. Which is great. We don't have to wait. We just don't have to wait. And that that is, I think, really, really cool and interesting. And I think that's going to make a lot of Unicorn players very happy and a lot of Unicorn Role players very happy. It gives it a lot more flavor. Gives it a lot more flavor than it had before, certainly. However, we did have another little incident happen this week that we need to spend some news on. We do. It was another fiction that came out. It's actually going to apparently be the first of six that is going to, well, I think going to put not so much the cat amongst the pigeons, but several cats amongst several individual specific groups of pigeons. But uh, <laughs> this is a big one. This is The Last Stone Played by Robert Denton, and it's available on the FFG website. And uh, yeah, quite a bit happens wow. in that. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, um, yes. <laughs> Things come to a head. So this is all going to be spoilers, if it wasn't yes. apparent before. That's what you get with this podcast anyway. In the, the essence of the story, for those who, you know, just to sum it up, talking about it, is that it is the night before Hante Jodan, Hante the 38th, is going to retire, and he is meditating at his family shrine upon the sword of the Hante, and his son comes in to apologize to him. Uh, Hante Soteri comes in and Hante Joden decides to tell Soteri that he's going to retire and he's going to take Soteri with him to a monastery and then he will come back to be an advisor to his younger brother. And Soteri does not take it well. He grabs the sword of the Hante. He kills his father. Kachiko happens by at just that time and makes a logical move to... Hide the whole murder, make it look like a natural death, yeah. and set Soteri on the throne with her carefully in place as his left-hand woman. This was very, very logical and very rational and the correct thing to do with the information she had to hand, which unfortunately was not all the information, as she exactly. discovered, which is that Jordan had either a copy of, or possibly the copy of, the edict which was what was going to be read out at the next day, which is going to be the official abdication and the inheritance by Daisetsu of the Imperial Throne. Kachiko did not know about this, even though uh, her husband, Bayoshi Shoju, is named as regent. And unfortunately, it's one of those things. She knew that it was an edict. She knew it was written by Toturi. 
and she knew that it was to do with inheritance and and who was going to ascend the throne and so she sent her yojimbo and stalker let's let's be clear about this uh <laughs> off to kill Daturi. and only then did she read that it was going to be but she showed you being regent at which point she went oh dear yes well, there were a couple of lore nuggets that came from the last stone played uh it is very important when you read Last Stone Played, to go back and read the other story by Robert Denton called Imperial Gifts, which features the sword of the Hante, Kunshu. That is the sword that ends up being used to kill Jodun. Kunshu's name means the monarch, and it was made by Doji Yasurugi under the direction of a Kenku teacher. And it's decorated with owl feathers, and owl feathers, even in old 5R, they show up very rarely, but that is the creature associated with the Hante, the way that the other clans have picked uh, creatures. When Yasurugi gave the sword to his teacher, his teacher spoke a prophecy, and this is in the Imperial Gifts fiction. Whatever fate befalls this blade, so too shall befall its masters. Also worthy of noting in Imperial Gifts, Daisetsu the younger son, spies on the room where Kunshu is kept on its stand and can see it plainly, even though those in the room can't see you spying from there. So in that story, Sotori goes in and keeps playing with this sword. It obviously is speaks to him or grants him clarity in some fashion. And Daisetsu would go in and see him playing with it. That might be involved. Somebody could potentially be looking in on this whole scene. That is certainly a possibility. Another thing we learn about another sword, the ancestral sword of the lion, which is also in that room, and that is called Shuri. And the translation is, we're not quite sure, but the two which appeal are victory or rule of law, administration of justice. Both of which sound really cool. Victory certainly sounds like an Okodo thing, because uh, it was originally a Kodo sword. And with the Japanese love of wordplay, the possibility that it means both of those things at the same time is actually kind of fun. I do like that. This is not the original sword of Okodo. That was commissioned by Hante and was probably on, on the same kind of order of, of magnificence as uh, Kunshu. But it was used in the First War to give Fuleng a terrible wound. And rather interestingly, Okodo then broke that sword and refused to pass it on because this sword has drawn my brother's blood. A sword which has drawn family blood cannot be revered. And so Shorty is in fact a simple sword that was just lying around or that he'd used before. And that's now the ancestral sword of the line. Yeah, we now have these two prophecies. Well, one one prophecy and one very strongly stated opinion. Whatever falls to Kunchu, falls its master, and a sword that has drawn family blood cannot be revered. And those both seem to connect right now. They certainly have been juxtaposed in the story. Now, in the story, the emperor is trying to use Shuri as a explanation to Soturi of the power of the empire and the power of the emperor because Shori, even though it's not a flashy sword, it's not a magic sword, it's not even awakened, is also given to the lion clan by the emperor when the emperor wants to 
cause the Lion Clan to declare full-out warfare on behalf of the Empire on any of his enemies. And that is more destruction than Rokugan sees, because Lion normally fight with one arm tied behind their back. Yeah, it's, it's all, you know, in quotes, skirmishes and border clashes and all that. They have not actually undergone total war against anyone in the empire supposedly <laughs> anyway I'm, I'm sure some of the other clans might disagree but apparently they haven't and so surety is very very important in that regard it, it represents a possibility that the lion will be called upon to do that and also that the lion won't do that unless they are specifically given the sword a few other things we found there's a monastery amongst the winds that was the monastery that Jordan and Sotori were going to go to. I don't know if it's been specified. I don't, we, I don't know if we've heard about this before or if it's a special monastery or if it's just... I haven't heard of it. Yeah, it, I think it might just be the monastery they were going to go to. It is interesting that Sotori was actually okay with this plan. I mean, he actually thought, you know, great, I'm going to get some time with my dad and it'll all be cool. Right until it was... And then when you have matured and become not terrible <laughs> I don't think he, he wasn't put in quite those terms but that's what that's what he meant uh then you will return and and satori is like yes and you will return as an advisor to your brother who will still be emperor and that's when it kind of went wrong so we don't know if the temple among the wings is a specific monastery or just a monastery that jordan thought would be a nice place to live in I thought it was really interesting how Kachiko just happens to have a certain hairpin that when she sends it to the Scorpion Embassy and asks for the Nightingale, it summons a Scorpion cleanup wet crew that can completely re replace the contents of a room and cover up a murder. Just like that. She doesn't have to say everything. Everyone knows that there is a murder to be covered up at this moment uh, and what to do and of course the scorpion would have that yeah I, that, that, that that seemed entirely reasonable that that's exactly what you'd find that they would just happen to have all these things to hand including spare floorboards because you're like we can't clean these ones these are full of blood oh we got, it's okay we've got floorboards it's okay we've got, we've got spare <laughs> ones and we also have dust for spreading on the floorboards so they don't look brand new even though that's exactly what they are Right. That that sounds like a scorpion thing to have. I mean, Kachiko seems to have a, a kind of a whole hairpin language because there was a point where, was it the Seppun Daimyo comes in and he discovers what's happening. Mia Satoshi. And, and Amaro is like, do I kill him? And he, Kachiko just touches a hairpin and that's like the, no, you idiot. Uh, well, I mean, it's possibly just a no signal. It might not be the no, you idiot signal, but she might have one of those. And quite frankly, for Amaro, she <laughs> needs one. Uh, and I rather suspect she's got a whole whole slew of signals that she gives just by touching particular hair pins. It's very... You talk about cadence. Uh, it shows up in the RPG. And cadence in or the language of the fan, or all of these, are actually pretty easy to do as long as everybody is in on the code. Yep. So if you have, you know, you say, okay, I'm going to do this, 
that means this. I didn't do that. This means that. Yeah. Kachiko has done this all the way along from her, from very early on in the first story. We see little bits of this. She has a scene in a previous story where she's touching a flower and that brings in a guy to say that it's time to interrupt this meeting and get this person out of her hair. She's She's got millions of these little mm. signals and all of her servants are attuned to them. It's a very, very scorpion thing to have and uh, turned out to be quite useful. Although maybe had she had the full information, then uh, possibly she would have done something different. It is interesting that Shouju did not share this information with Kachiko. And does that mean that he doesn't trust her? Does it mean he doesn't trust her to be loyal? Does it mean he doesn't trust her to be competent? Or is it just simple compartmentalization? You just thought, I'll, I shall compartmentalize because there is no particular reason for her to know. It's just that events overtook and then all of a sudden you've got a dead emperor which I rather suspect. Although, there are some people do speculate that this is all Boishi Shoji's doing. But assuming that it's not, then he could not have anticipated this. And thus, you know, thought, well, there's no reason for her to know. I won't tell her just because that's basic operational security. I am of the school that he does not trust her to be not ambitious. Mm. Because she's already proven herself ambitious. And he is still trying, he has, he's not particularly keen on becoming regent. He does it. Mm. But he's thinking that the scorpion should be back in the shadows. And he's mentioned that in his previous discussion. And it's Kachiko who wants to be in the limelight. And he doesn't, if he told Kachiko, mm. he would be afraid that she would be interested in pushing Jodan to retire more than he does. Hmm. Uh, Joden is still waffling right up to the last minute, right up to last that last morning. We've seen that. And Shoju wants to give him the room and the encouragement to take it back and to keep being emperor or not do this course of action. And if, he, if Shoju had told Kachiko about this, she would work to encourage Joden to go ahead and step down out of her own sense of ambition. And also probably set up things to take advantage of it immediately as, you know, just when everyone else is going, oh, I did not expect this. She's going, well, I did. So I've, I've made all these plans, which themselves could have, each of those are theoretically ways for other people to find out what's going on. And they may also be setting up things that showed you would think, isn't what he wants for the Scorpion clan. Right, too ambitious. Mm. So I think there's good reason. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think it's going to be very interesting because obviously very soon, Kachiko is going to have to tell Shoju what happened and what she did and why she did it. And uh, that's going to be an interesting conversation. Yes, so obviously we're going to end up with a situation where I think I think it is likely, and this is random speculation at this point, but I think that it's likely to say that Shoju won't necessarily be very happy with what Kachiko did. No. I think what Kachiko did was not stupid. It was very human. Yeah. Only the ordering of the assassination of Tatori was overly hasty, but I think that yeah. it was overly hasty. 
Um, I think that's the one thing she does after she finds out about the edict, but before she finds out who was going to be regent. That's the thing I think that is going to cause everything to fall down. Right. She read half the note. Yeah. Up to that point, I think it was recoverable. So there's going to be a conflict between Shoju and Kachiko. They may start covering for each other, but Shoju may feel the need to do drastic things to try and make the situation more like he needed it to, yeah. he wanted it to be, because he knows that Sotori is not going to be a good emperor. And he also knows that um, that's not what Joden wanted. He's already offered yeah. once to assassinate Sotori. Yes. Very I, quietly I, I, on the slide. <laughs> I, I have to say, Jodan did not say, definitely don't do that. That was yes. a key thing. He, de- <laughs> he didn't say, 100%, do not do, do not murder my son. Which is, uh, I, I, and I think a lot of people went, oh, so that's what's going to happen then. And um, no, that is not what happened. So he might have to take drastic steps. And it is also random speculation, mm-hmm. but to to be honest, I find it highly doubtful that Armoro is going to be able to kill Totori. Mm. Because, well, Totori already beat him once, and he's got Kaide, and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The story would stop rather strangely and abruptly if Totori got assassinated at this it, juncture. It, it so. would, it would. But then, because so that's another thing that, that another competition that's going to be very interesting and it's going to be up for grabs what that's going to do it's all very interesting loads of stuff's happening it's just just fascinating ha <sighs> so it was really actually i have to say it was really nice seeing the scorpions really scorp as it were really <laughs> kind of do the kind of the the real devious stuff and just you know this is what they do and i just loved seeing that on the page it was really really cool I loved seeing something happen. So everything has been going very slowly. We've been more than a year on just what's maybe a few days of time in game, watching things very, very slowly happen uh, with no big events since really the very start of the timeline. Uh, Things happened, but they were putting the pieces to place. So it was like watching yeah. two trains driving towards each other very, very, very slowly. And here is the first moment of the collision. Yeah. And you've been waiting for it and you've been waiting for it. And it's just, yes, it's here. Everything is going to go to hell now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's it's going to be a fun ride from here. It is very interesting that we are now not going to be following the AEG plotline as closely as some people were worried about. We can still call this a Scorpion Clan coup, maybe, but it's a very different one. Through a mirror darkly. Mm-hmm. Indeedy, indeedy. Yeah, I think we've listed, literally there's one piece of lore knowledge we seem to have gotten, which is the Shichigo-san Festival, which is a series of festivals for kids when they grow up to certain ages. Uh, when they're three years old, which is the sun, and they get, look, we've got kids, they're lovely. Go, which is five, five-year-old boys, they get to put on their big boy pants, I think, literally, they're, they're hakama for the first time. Um, and they get uh, sometimes a toy sword or a, a helmet set and that kind of things. Possibly made out of origami, depending on, on how symbolic your family is. And then Shichi, which is seven, that's for seven-year-old girls, and they get to dress up nice and get uh, other presents. That's a, There's a festival for celebrating children, which is mentioned in the fiction. 
That was so sweet. He, you know, Sotori wanted to you know, just just this moment of trying to bind with his father, and yeah. it was. I, I never felt like Sotori has issues, severe issues. That that's absolutely he has, can understand he has entire his volumes. <laughs> but uh, he's 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 been written very well. He's been written very humanly. You know, he wants to be a kid. He wants to connect to his father. He wants to be what he's supposed to be. He's just confused about what that is supposed to yep. be because it's a very confusing world and he's in a very confusing role. And that's coupled with a rage issue that is just very hard for him to overcome and and. This is tragedy. Yeah, you can it is. understand why it happens. It's still tragedy. It is human, very but human tragedy. On the note of that tragedy, I think that that's about our time for today. I believe so. So, looking forward to next week because that is going to be our unicorn culture special, if the uh, fortunes favour us, which I think they will. If the inter- the fortune the fortunes of the internet. The fortunes of the internet, yes. But for now, this is this week. May the fortunes favor you. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy. Bye.